Matthew chapter 13. Uh, we're continuing this uh, mini-series called uh, Safe and Secure. And uh, one of the reasons why we have um, been talking about this subject of eternal security is as we talked about in the world, there are four types of people. There's four groups of people. Uh, number one, people who are believers and know it. And I hope that you're in that category. There's people who are believers and don't know it. There are people who, who are unbelievers and they know it. And people who think they are believers, but they are not. And so of those four categories, I hope that uh, you're in category one, uh, people who are believers and know it. I hope that you have confidence that you are standing uh, with Christ, standing in Christ. Um, but if you're not, uh, we, we will be talking about how to, again, have that confidence. We said one of the reasons why in that last group, uh, some people who think they're believers and they're not, is because of wrong theology. And so they have some, some wrong theology. They've been taught something uh, wrong um, in their life. And so they have their, their object of faith is, is uh, in the wrong place. And so really, if bad theology creates false assurance, then we would say good theology creates good assurance or true assurance. And so that's why in that second um, that uh, second part, we talked about having good theology. So we talked about that theology um, as it reflects um, on the Lord. And why did we talk about that? Because salvation is really a gift, all right? And so it, it's pretty clear uh, throughout the Bible. Here's Romans uh, 3, 23 and 24. For, for all has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. But then notice here in 24, and we are justified by his grace as a gift. And so we've been given a gift by God, and that is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so we have been redeemed through Jesus Christ. God has given us a gift. Again, Paul says this. This comes out of Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Again, salvation is a gift, all right? And he continues on, he says this, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And so salvation is not based upon what I do for the Lord, but salvation is based upon what the Lord has done for me. And that is where good theology comes from, because really when we have right theology, it helps us to stand secure in what we know to be true. Uh, this last week, um, my, me and my family, we've been looking at uh, uh, some, new, some new cars. We're looking at a second car, like a, either a plug-in hybrid, something with a small battery that'll just get us back and forth to uh, Elk Grove, uh, or maybe an all-electric, something just, just to drive around town, just to save on, on gas. And so uh, I... Uh, contacted uh, Kia uh, this last week, and, and I thought I had the car all figured out and seemed like a good deal. So I said, well, would you give me a, a, the sales price? And so uh, the guy sent me back, and he said, this is the uh, MSRP, and this is the sales price, and those two matched. And well, that's, if you've ever shopped for a car recently, that's a good thing whenever the MSRP and the sales price match, because a lot of times they're doing markups. And so, uh, but there's one thing, if you've ever dealt with a, a car salesman, that they're not always the most trustworthy. And so uh, what I did is I actually went back and I looked at the actual uh, sticker price. And so I was able to go into the website and find the VIN number, and I was able to look up the sticker price. And guess what I found? He lied. And so he gave me the manufacturer price was actually $5,000 over the manufacturer price. He was calling it a sales price. I, ended, I sent him an email back and I said, it's not a sales price, that's actually a markup price. And so um, I said, I'm gonna continue to look uh, elsewhere. The reason why I tell you that is because depending on where the gift comes from, you can either trust it or not trust it. Now, when I started talking to that salesperson, immediately I thought I should probably do my own homework and find out whether or not he's giving me the truth. And what I found out was it was not the truth. But when it comes to the gospel, when we think about this free gift, 
God is not a car salesman, all right? He is not trying to trick us into buying salvation. Instead, really, he's giving us a gift, something that he paid for, but is free to us. And so that was one of the, the important reasons why we have to have good theology, because based upon what we believe about God will either help us to stand secure in our faith or will allow us to waver in our faith. And so in part two, we were reminded that God is the one who is sovereign over our salvation. He is merciful and gracious. He is the one that justifies the believer. And why does he do all of this? Because of his character of love. God is love. So he has done all of this for us. Eternal security does not rest on the believer. It rests on our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not man's gift to God. It is God's gift to man. And that's where we stand. And so really, if we're, if we're thinking about those four people groups and we want to stand in that first people group, someone who is a believer and knows it, we have the right object of faith. That second thing is that we trust who God is. And when we begin to reflect on his character, it points to the fact that we can stand secure because he is not a liar. He is not a deceiver. What he says is truth. And so uh, today we want to look at Matthew chapter 13 because today we want to consider the evidence of true conversion. So number one, we talked about those four people groups, and we talked about that object of faith. Number two, we talked about having good theology, so we went back and we talked about salvation as it reflects on God's character. Number three, we want to look at today in this third part is the evidences of true conversion. And uh, I'm going to have you uh, stand out of respect for God's word if you're able to. And uh, we're just going to read just a handful of verses today. And so this is Matthew chapter 13. This is a well-known uh, passage. Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 1, this is the parable of the sower. And it says this, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And a great, uh, great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he taught them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some of the seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky grounds, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. All right, stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your word we thank you for your salvation. As we've been talking about this for the several, uh, several weeks now, Lord, we are reminded that salvation is not based upon us, but really salvation is based upon what you have done uh, for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for that grace. We thank you for that mercy that you have had upon your creation, that you have had upon us as believers. And so, Lord, as we look at these uh, really three things that we can look at in, in our life to give us confidence, really the things that happen after salvation. I do pray that maybe if there's someone in group number two, maybe they're a believer and they just don't know it, that maybe today they'd have confidence as we go through these three things this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you again that we can rest in you, that salvation is not held on by us, but really you hold on to us that salvation is done through you. So we thank you for that free gift in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Today we have one of Jesus' parables, and so we should ask the question, what is a parable? 
A parable is a short story with a symbolic meaning, and therefore some people have, have said a parable is this. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and uh, if we really got down kind of the, to the root of what a parable is, it's a short story with a symbolic meaning. And our parable here is a, is a tad bit different than some of the other parables that we read in the Gospels. And so one of the reasons for that is a lot of the parables that we read, Jesus always starts off with this. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he gives the parable. But we actually don't see that phrase in this parable. That's because Jesus is not telling us what heaven is like. Instead, really, what Jesus is telling us is how to get into heaven, how to get into God's kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven is like, we see that not in this parable, because this is not about what heaven is like or the kingdom of heaven, but instead, really, what we see here is how to enter God's kingdom. So this parable is a little bit different. There's a second reason why this parable is different. Many of the parables that we read, we really don't know what they mean because Jesus never went back and actually told the disciples what they mean. So sometimes when we read through some of the parables, really when we begin to interpret them, it comes from man's philosophy, man's reason. And so we kind of see into some of those parables what we want to see. And, and of course, if the Holy Spirit is working in our life, he's going to give us clear direction as we, as we look at those parables. But I just want to say that whenever we interpret a parable, remember, it's a, it's a short story with a symbolic meaning. If we're not told the meaning, then it's left up to man to create the meaning, and that's not a good place to be because we may get it wrong. But here in this parable, we don't see that. So Jesus Christ actually goes back and he tells his disciples what this parable means. So that's what we want to look at today. So go ahead and look down in verse 18. All right. So Jesus talked about a couple of other things prior to getting to what this parable means. But look down in verse 18 and we're going to look at together what this parable means. And so this is in chapter 13, verse 18. Here then the parable of the sower. When someone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. All right, so the very first soil that, that uh, Jesus talks about is that which is sown along the path. In, in antiquity, a planty, at planting time, a farmer sowed his seed first, then he would go back and he would plow the ground. But any seed that fell on the roadway or the path was not plowed under. And so that's where we get this idea. This is why Jesus is talking about this, because in antiquity, oftentimes they would just sow the grain. They would, they would sow the seed. Then they would go back and then they would plow and that would turn over the soil and, and actually plant the seed. Well, you can imagine that anything that fell on the road or anything that fell on the path would not be turned over. Therefore, it would never take root. It fell on the hard ground. And so here as Jesus Christ is, is uh, giving us this interpretation, he says that which is, falls really on that path, the birds eat. It's as if uh, they listen, but it never takes root. It never changes their life. The first group hears the preaching of the gospel, but it makes no impact on them. And the world is full of people like that, where they, they've, read the, they've read the Bible, they've, they've, they've looked at maybe John 3.16, because here in America we see it all over the place, and maybe they've gone back and they've heard it, and, and they, they think about what John 3.16 means, and then that's about it, and they go on with life. The preaching of the gospel is accomplished but it doesn't impact our lives. Soil number one. Then we see soil number two. Look at verse 20. For as the one that sows on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
Now, last week we talked about, not last week, a couple of weeks ago now, uh, we talked about uh, words that repeat, and uh, oftentimes when words repeat, it creates an emphasis on something that is true. And there's something that is repeated both in verse 20 and 21. I'm going to put them back to back for us. All right? Notice the words that are repeated. Immediately, this person receives it with joy, but immediately he falls away. As quickly as he receives Christ is just as quickly as he turns away from Christ because of tribulation and, and persecution. And so there's two things that are evident for this soil. There's a quick response, probably emotional response, but not a lasting response. Just as quickly as they made that decision, they make that decision to walk away from the Lord. So that's group number two. That's the second soil. The first soil never took root. The second soil does take a little bit of root, but just as quickly as they had joy in their salvation, they immediately fall away. These two were not true believers. All right, and then we go to the third ground here. This is in verse 22. For as what was sown among thorns, that is the one who hears the word, but, he care, uh, but the cares of the world and the deceits of the riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And so notice what happens. It is the cares of the world and the riches that choke out the world. Now this person, they heard the good news. They heard the gospel and they said, I believe. But their heart was never really changed. They never really followed the Lord. Instead, they continued to follow the things of this world and the riches of this world. There was not true repentance in their life. And so we talked about this several weeks ago when we talked about the gospel but uh, repentance is the idea of, I am going this, this is my direction in life. My direction is the world, that my direction is my flesh, myself. I want to be king of my life. But when we repent, we turn from self-righteousness and self-worship to God-righteousness and God-worship. We turn around and we seek the things of God, no longer the things of the world. And so for this group... They said, I believe, but their heart was never really changed. And this could be, this could be really that, that group that thinks they're Christians, but is not really Christians. They think they're believers, but they're not really believers. And sometimes, and I, it may even happen within this room, I know that I've heard testimonies repeatedly of Christians who had made a decision sometime in their life but they knew deep down that they never truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so it's later on in their life that they put their faith and trust in the Lord, and then they actually get saved. I think I shared with you uh, one episode of that when, uh, when I counseled a young man at camp and, and how he was, that was something that was just, just weighing on his heart. And so I know other people that maybe it was some life event. Maybe they almost died. And, and then they came to that point. They knew deep down that they truly were not a believer. They were just playing the game. They were making themselves look like a Christian, but they weren't really a Christian. They had never really repented of their sins. They still loved the cares of the world and the riches of the world. They were still king or queen of their life. And they pivoted. They they, um, they repented of that and they came to Christ. And so I know several people close to me that that is true of. And so maybe that's where you stand as well. And so maybe that was you at one time and, uh, and uh, you, you readjusted. You weren't really a believer and you put your faith and trust in the Lord. But again, this one doesn't, is not fruitful. All right? So the first three soils... The one that fell on the path, the one that fell on the rocky ground, the one that fell on the, the thorn, amongst the thorns, uh, all of those did not bear any fruit. They were not genuine uh, believers. They simply said they were, but they were not. And then we get to that last soil here in, in verse 23. For what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. We indeed bear, uh, he indeed bears fruit 
and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, 60. and another, 30. And what I want to point out here is that for this last group, it wasn't that they simply had roots. It was this. They bear fruit. And uh, then they had different quantities of fruit. And so, and that is true for every Christian. All right, for every Christian, we're, we're bearing different amounts of fruit, all right, depending on maybe what the Lord has gifted us uh, with or how we have used those gifts that the Lord has given to us. But nonetheless, there should be some fruits that are part of our life. And we, we see this idea repeated over and over again through the word of God. Matter of fact, it is Jesus who says this. This is found in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. All right? And so as Jesus Christ is talking, he says, you know what? You didn't choose me. I chose you. And the reason why I chose you is to bear fruit. All right? So we see that Jesus Christ said that. Not only did Jesus Christ say that, we see that John said that as well. He says this in 1 John 1, 5, and 6. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, God is light, and in him is no darkness at, at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John says for a believer, there should be a changed life. There should be some fruit associated with, we don't continue to walk the path that we were on. We don't continue to walk in darkness. Instead, uh, we have a changed life. James says this. This comes from James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if anyone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And so James was really confronting a, a group of people who said, I am a believer, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he, that he died for me and that he rose again, but then their life had no change whatsoever. And James says, you know what? For a, a, someone that is a, a true believer, there should be change in their life. They should not be the same as, as, they, as, as when they came to the Lord. Paul says this as well. This is Ephesians 2.10. This is right after uh, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, talking about it being a, salvation being a free gift and not based upon works. And then he says this. This is after salvation in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, why do I show you all of these verses from all of these writers? Because I'm trying to hit home this. That in the parable of the sower, Jesus Christ says the difference between unbelievers and believers is fruit. And when we begin to look through the New Testament, we find this to be true. Now, I do need to put a word of caution on this, that making fruit does not make us Christians. All right? Bearing fruit is what happens to Christians. And so that's going to be kind of the subject that we have today is what type of fruit should we have? What does a Christian look like? This is our question. What does a changed life look like? What does a changed life look like? So if we're going to say that the difference between the three soils that are unbelievers and the one soil that is a believer is fruit, what should that change be in our lives? So today we're going to look at three changes that should happen to us prior to salvation. It's, it's three things that we as Christians, we can go back, we can look over our life and say, hey, are these things part of our life? And if they are, that's a good indicator to us that we truly have come from death to life, that we are true believers. Now, if we look at those three things and we say none of those three things are part of our life, then that would be an indicator that we are still dead, that we have never come from death to life. And so we're going to be looking at three things that we should look at in our life. And to do that, we want to go to 1 John. 
So go ahead and flip in your Bible uh, towards the back of the New Testament to 1 John. All of the points uh, today, when we think about what type of change should happen in our life, they're all going to come out of 1 John. 1 John is a great book uh, for those who are, are kind of debating in their heart whether or not they're true believers or whether or not they have false security. And uh, one of the reasons is because uh, John, John, as he writes here, he just kind of has a pastor's heart. And so as he writes here in 1 John, it's really like a pastor just writing a, a, a loving sermon uh, to believers. And there's a lot of encouraging, th encouraging things uh, here in 1 John. Matter of fact, uh, one thing that's often recommended is right after salvation that someone actually go through and read 1 John because there's lots of good stuff in 1 John. Matter of fact, it's in 1 John that we read this. This is 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the, of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so one of the reasons why John took his time as, as really a, a, uh, a pastor was to encourage people so that they would have confidence in where they stand. And that's my desire today. I know my name's John as well. Of course, I didn't write this. But that's my desire as a pastor as well, is to just encourage you that you would stand firm in what you believe, that you'd be able to look back in your life and say, hey, I'm moving from, from point number two, which is I'm a believer and I'm just not sure, to point number one, I'm a believer and I'm confident. And of course, I don't want to create any false assurance. And so while uh, we're sticking to the word of God uh, today and what John talks about. When the gospel takes root in the believer's life, the very first thing that I believe it creates is love. All right, a changed life loves Christ and loves one another. All right, a changed life loves Christ and loves others. Okay, this is, I believe this is true. I believe this is true. That our normal tendency as mankind is not to like the things of God. Our normal tendency of life is to deny the things of God. It is not to look at the things of God or his word and say, you know what? I want to follow these things. Our normal tendency is not to say, I want to follow these things. Our normal tendency is to say, I want to do what the Bible says not to do. And so that's our normal tendency. We are really rebels at heart. That is part of our sin nature. But you know what? When we become Christians, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and there's repentance, really we turn towards the Lord and he becomes the love of our life. And so a changed life loves Christ and loves others Christ said this in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And a little bit later on, he says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so uh, as, as John records for us some of the things that Jesus Christ said, this idea of loving Christ should just come naturally to the believer. And then Jesus says, well, if you love me, then you also love the Father. And if you do these things, the Father also loves you. And so, and so Jesus Christ is saying, you know what? This is a pattern that is true in the believer's life. A true believer loves me. And a believer who loves me also loves the Father they have come from death to life. There is new love in their heart. And so the very first thing is that we love Christ. And we see this in John. So I know I told you to turn there to John. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, look at 1 John 4, 19. It says this, we love because he first loved us. Now, in the context there, what John's referring to is actually a love for the brothers, it's a love for other believers. The fact that we have experienced God's love in turn makes us love other believers. That's what John says. 
But the same thing is true when it comes to the Lord. Because truly, if we are children of God, we are thankful and we are grateful for everything that God has done for us. We, in turn, love the Father. The Father loves us, and we, in turn, love the Father. We love Christ. And that second thing that is true from this verse, and, and we're going to see a little bit stronger here in John, is that we love others. And it's not just love our neighbor, though that is true. What John is talking about here is that we love other believers. That there seems to be just a way in which our lives connect with other believers. We have things in common with them. We love them. Not that we don't love others, all right? That's not what John is teaching here. But John says that we have a special type of love for believers. And so notice in chapter 3, this is 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, and it says this, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So, so John here, he draws a, 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 a line in the sand. And he says, this is one of the indicators of whether or not you are a true believer is how you love the believers. If you have no love for other Christians, then John says that's an indicator that you're, that you're still abiding in death, that you've never been alive. But if you love believers, then that's an indicator that you truly are a Christian. Later on, he says this. This is in this is the next chapter over, 1 John chapter 4, looking at verse 7 and 8. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Again, he draws a line in the sand, and he says, this is an indicator of a Christian, someone who um, loves others. And then he says this in, in verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So John writes a, a line in the sand. He says, if you're, if you're a believer, there is a difference in your life. When you come from death to life, you look at other Christians in a different way. Maybe prior to, to salvation, maybe you didn't want anything to do with, with a church or anything to do with other Christians. Maybe you would never be found within the walls of a church. But then after salvation, you just see yourself drawn to other Christians. Sometimes when you have those conversations with other people, it just encourages your heart. I was I, t talking about... Um, uh, visiting a, Keeler, a Kia dealer, I was uh, down here at the Elk Grove uh, dealer, and I was uh, doing a test drive with one of the guys, and uh, I told him, I just, I, I didn't even mean to, it just was one of those natural things, and, and I said, yeah, I was looking at this car, but now I'm kind of thinking about this car, and it's because I was talking to a, another couple at church, and they said, well, really, you should consider this, and, and so I said, and so and that's why I'm test driving this today, because now I'm considering something, and he goes, oh, so you go to church. And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And then he started asking me all these questions about the current church and what I thought about the current church. And one of the things that, he was very, that was very important to him was whether or not our church continued to teach the Bible. He says, does your church continue to teach the Bible? And I said, yes, it does. And I told him what church I go to. And, and then I said, matter of fact, I'm the pastor of Wilton Bible Church. Well, of course, then when I let that cat out of the bag, he had a whole new series of questions. And so me and him, we talked and talked and talked, and then, like, he wouldn't let me go, not because he wanted to sell me a car, but because he wanted to talk about Christian things. And so we talked and we talked and we talked. You know, when, when someone is a, a truly has has repented, and, and they're a true believer, there seems to be just a draw to other Christians. And, and maybe I mean, that guy didn't even know as, as we got in the car and was doing that test drive. He didn't even know I was a Christian. I didn't know he was a Christian. But as soon as he got some width that I went, whatever, some sense that I was a Christian, he just had all kinds of questions to ask about Christianity and about the church. And so it was really, really interesting. But, but I, did, I just want to say that 
uh, when we are Christians, that we love other Christians. There is a difference that happens inside of us. And so what does change look like in a believer? Well, it's very clear from 1 John that a changed life loves Christ and others. All right, We love God and others. That's something that is different that a change that happens before salvation. There's a second thing that happens. A changed life contains God's spirit. A changed life contains God's spirit. We see this in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And so look down in your Bible, chapter 4, verse 13, that says this. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us uh, because he has given us of the Spirit. All right, so one of the indicators to know whether or not we're, we're truly believers, we've passed from death to life, is that we have the Holy Spirit in our life. That is one of the indicators that we truly are Christians. John talks about that, but it also comes up in other writings. Paul talks about it here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're just going to look at just a couple of verses here, well-known verses at that. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 1.21, and, and it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a, and then he uses the word, guarantee. Now, when Paul uses that word guarantee as reflects as the Holy Spirit, what he is saying is that Holy Spirit is a down payment. And God always fulfills what he has done. Therefore, it's a guarantee. When we have the Holy Spirit within us, we know. We're not in, in glory yet, but we can know if we have the Holy Spirit, we will be in glory it's guaranteed because that Holy Spirit is a down payment that will be fulfilled. All right? And so we may be going through this life, and, and um, uh, we may not see glory yet. We might look at the world and, and see just chaos. Uh, but one day we will be in heaven. We are guaranteed of that. And again, that gets back to God's character that God is sovereign over our salvation and so that Holy Spirit is a guarantee of that. And so what does a changed life look like that has the Holy Spirit in it? Well, the Holy Spirit leads and directs the believer to do what is right. For example, when the Word of God is preached or studied, uh, they say no to the flesh and they say yes to the Lord. Now, does this happen all the time? Of course not. Sometimes in our life, uh, we, 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 uh, we feed the flesh and we allow the flesh to control our lives. Uh, but uh, the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit also gives us the ability to yield to his will. And so this is a change that we ha did not have prior to salvation. Prior to salvation, we did whatever we wanted, wherever our heart led us. But after salvation, the Holy Spirit comes, and he helps us to yield to God's will. God's Spirit also convicts us of sin. And we're not talking about a fear of getting caught, but we're actually talking about sorrow because we have offended a loving and holy God. Truly, if he's our father, it breaks our heart when we sin against him. Another sign is that the Holy Spirit is a part of our life is when we sense fellowship with God. And we do that through prayer and through uh, reading the Bible. And I know this to be true for my own life, but also for you today, because there's sometimes where we talk about uh, the Bible and, and you tell me with your own words, yeah, sometimes when I read the Bible, God, like certain things pop out that I, it, it almost appears that I've never read before, but I know I've read before, but the Holy Spirit uses that in a different way and encourages me for that day. And that's the Holy Spirit working in our life when we're reading through the word of God and all of a sudden something points, God points something out and we go, huh, I never saw that before. Wow, that is so encouraging. That's the Holy Spirit uh, working in our life and uh, using God's word uh, to do that. And so that is an indicator that the Holy Spirit is in our life. So number one, if we're looking for those differences between death and life, some of those indicators that we truly are believers, a changed life loves Christ and loves others. And it's also clear that a changed life has the Holy Spirit. It is a guarantee. It is a seal 
There is a promise attached to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, anyone who has the Holy Spirit is a Christian, all right? And anyone who does not have the Holy Spirit is not a Christian. Again, it's a line in the sand. Either you are or you're not. There's no in the middle. There's no straddling the line. All right, the very last thing that we're going to look at today. A changed life yields to God's word. A changed life yields to God's word. Go ahead and flip back to John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. Notice there in verse 3 it says this. For by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And of course, that is our question today. How do we know if we truly know him? How do we know if we're truly believers? And John says, if we keep his commandments. And then um, in verse 4 he says this, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. And in verse 6 it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. All right, there's another line in the sand that, that John draws for us. And he says, if there is true change in our life, that there will be the desire to yield to the word of God. Again, that is different prior to salvation. Prior to salvation, we want our own thing. We don't want to be told what to do. We want to be kings and queens of our own lives. But when there's real gospel change that happens in our hearts, there is a desire to obey God's word, to obey God. So how does that come about? Well, the more that we learn about God, about his character, about his likes and his dislikes, there's more opportunity for us to say, I want to bring glory to God. Again, this is not how we're justified. We're not justified by good works. We're not justified by following some list of commands. That's not how we're justified. We're only justified by faith and faith alone. We're going to look at a series of verses as we conclude today. But that's the only way we cannot make our life better to be accepted by the Lord. Instead, these are things that should happen after salvation. So after salvation, there is a desire. There is there's a desire to, to read God's word, to, to obey God's word. Does that mean that we always have that desire? No, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes we go through spouts in our life, and some, sometimes uh, we, we are studying God's Word, and, and we're reading it faithfully, maybe once a day, maybe a couple times a day, maybe once a week, maybe a couple times a month. We're faithful. And then there's sometimes we as Christians, we're not hardly reading the Bible at all. That doesn't mean that we're not saved. That just means that we're, we're doing our own thing. And really our desire should be to go back to the word of God and to allow it to change our life. Truly that's where change comes from. The more we get to know God, the more we get to know his likes and dislikes, the more knowledge that we have, we should apply that to our lives. James talks about this. This is in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22, it says this, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. But he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so James says that there should be something different in our lives. That when the word of God is preached, when the word of God is, is read, that we look and we listen, we desire to learn. And that's one of the differences between a Christian, a believer, and an unbeliever. There's many unbelievers that read the Bible, and for them, it's just a work of literature. And they get it, they, they look at Christianity as just a, another religion of the world. But for believers, when they read the Word of God, it is different. It's not 
another literature or another um, religion of the world. Instead, it is God's way to heaven. It's really uh, through Jesus Christ. And so again, as we uh, consider these things today and we think about these, this changed life, we must consider that these three things are simply indicators. They're indicators of what a life should be, but they're not what creates life. And again, as we reflect on this idea, Jesus Christ said this. He said this in Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, all right? People who appear to be genuine believers, genuine believers, but they're not genuine believers. Instead, they're really false teachers. And uh, Jesus says this, you will recognize them by their fruit. And again, we see that not only so for false teachers, we also see that as so for believers. And so if we're on that, that line there between uh, group number one, those who are believers and know it, and group number two, those who are believers and don't know it, we can look at these three things today. Do we have a love for God and a love for believers? And if the answer is yes, I beg the question, where does that come from? Why do we love God and why do we love other Christians? Now, I would say that is because God has changed us. Point number two, truly Christians have the Holy Spirit in our life. It is true. That is that line in the sand. Either you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit or you're an unbeliever and you don't have the Holy Spirit. And as we looked at those things, do you sense the Holy Spirit in your life? If you do, you are a Christian. Again, not that we manifest the Holy Spirit, and not that we speak in tongues, and that makes us Christians. Simply, if the Holy Spirit is working in our life, that is an indicator that we are a Christian. All right? Number one, we love others. Number two, we have the Holy Spirit. And lastly, do we yield to God's word? Do we yield to God's word? And as we conclude today, we remember that these three, three things do not justify us before God. All right, Manifesting the Holy Spirit in our life won't get us into heaven. Uh, yielding uh, to the word won't get us into heaven. Um, loving God and loving others uh, won't get us into heaven. The only way we can get into God's kingdom is through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ who said this. Jesus said to them, I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus was answering a question. The question was this. We don't know how to get to heaven. You're talking about where you're going, and you're talking about how we're going to go there, and I just want to let you know, Jesus, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know how to get there. And this is Jesus' reply. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Something else repeated from Peter. As he is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's, he's speaking, he's preaching. And it says this, and there, is, uh, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter said there is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And John says this, as we kind of reflect on, on some of the things that John said in 1 John. This is 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And notice, I love this, and so we are. And so we are. It, it's not based upon a list of things that we do for God that makes us Christians. Instead, it's that free gift. The things that we've talked about, the three things that we've talked about today are indicators that you're a Christian. It's not three things that make you a Christian, all right? So I don't want anybody to walk away today and think, if I could just manifest these three things in my life, I'm okay, because that's not the case. That's false assurance. True assurance has the object of faith being Jesus Christ. 
And then we look for these three things after salvation. So we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Again, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We are children of God because he has called us. So as we stand today, the object of our faith must be uh, Jesus Christ. We are God's children, not because we have saved ourselves, but because he has saved us. His hand keeps us. His spirit is our guarantee. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for continuing to work in our lives. Lord, as we've looked at this idea of, of uh, assurance of salvation, we've We've looked at it really from three different perspectives. Uh, a, a wrong way uh, to get to heaven. We've looked at looking at God's character, having good theology, and why we can be safe and secure in you because you are the giver. It is your gift to us, not man's gift to you. And lastly, Lord, as we looked at today, that there is a difference in our lives. And, and maybe as we sit here today, Maybe we've never considered these three things. But now maybe we are considering these three things based upon what John talks about and the rest of God's word talks about. And so, Lord, I do pray that maybe if there is someone here, that as they take an inventory of their life, maybe that they, uh, they don't have these three things in their life. They, they could care less about church. They could care less about believers. They could care less about the Holy Spirit and, and biblical change. They could care less about your word and and I pray that you would bring them to a place where they would put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I know that there's been people in the past that they've played the Christian game, but they've never truly been Christians. And it's been later on in life that they, they surrendered their life to you, that they put their faith and trust in the work of the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, and their life was changed, and they've never been the same but, Lord, I also know that there's Christians sometimes that we struggle with our assurance. Sometimes we go back and forth about whether or not we truly are your children. Help us to have confidence based upon the changed life that we have, the fact that you have created new life, that we were once dead and now we are alive. Help us to look for those fruits, those indicators that we truly are born again believers and so lord i think about a love for for you and a love for others i think about a love a, a desire to change through through your spirit and, and a love for your word a yielding to your word i pray that these things would be true in our lives even if we have ups and downs in our life may we always come back to the fact that we are believers thank you for the hope that we have in jesus name amen